It's been quite a journey together these last five, now six weeks, as we have been focusing in on in everything pray. A synopsis of that verse from, uh, from Philippians. As Paul has been teaching us much through God's word of what it means to pray, why pray, what it's all about to pray, how to pray. I mean, all those things that a lot of us have questioned or wondered or struggled with over the years and to be in the place where God's word molds and shapes us in the area of prayer. An incredible gift, an incredible privilege. And we've spent some time and we've heard from a lot of you, it's been a blessing to you to grow in what it means to pray for peace, uh, to pray for strength, to pray for power, to, uh, to pray for witness, uh, to pray as God has led us in these weeks, to pray for things that maybe weren't on the radar in our prayer life, that go beyond just praying for our circumstances. As I've been reminded again and again in recent days that Paul never once prays for the church and its circumstances to change in terms of things that are going wrong. He never prays for that to turn around. He rather prays for things so that greater things would happen for the kingdom, that focus on the kingdom and God's greater good through the lives of his people. And those so that's that we've been dwelling on are powerful. And so we come to today in a prayer for unity. Uh, I want to read these words as we look at this, um, and you can look in your worship folder if you want. We just read this from Romans 15, and Paul's kind of blessing prayer over his people. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was the so that, with one voice, one mind, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. It, it, it echoes the prayer of Jesus, the one that is, I pray, hopefully very familiar to you from our gospel reading today, John 17, which forms our mission and vision here at St. John and Jesus uh, becoming one, reaching many. That prayer of Jesus for the church. And, and, and just a synopsis of that from John 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Oh, what a prayer. A so that prayer. Being united together so that the world would know. Paul prayed it. Jesus prayed it. And we are called to pray it. But why? Why would we pray a prayer like this? You've maybe experienced this. We live in a time, in a day, and there's nothing new here where the examples of unity seem to be far between. <laughs> we live in times of war and that hostility that rages in families and in communities and churches and, and in the world today at large. I mean, it is a time, if there was ever a time, for the examples and, and unity to be lifted up into the world. These are the days in which we live. Uh, you've heard me share it. I mean, what, what's on the line here ultimately? I, I, th I think often about this example from 
uh, the cornfields of Minnesota. And I've shared it many times, and it, it just keeps sticking out as an example to me what this is all about. And the family that I remember reading about years ago is this time of year, the temperatures were tired, starting to change at night. The kids on the farm were out playing, and uh, mom calls everybody in for, at dinner time, and, and all the kids come in except for the three-year-old by the name of Joey, who is nowhere to be found. And, and they start to panic a little bit at first, thinking, oh, maybe he's, we were playing hide-and-seek, maybe he's still hiding in the barn. And they go looking and calling out, Joey, no, it's no joke here, it's time for dinner, mom's calling us in, and, and there's no sign of the little guy. About that time, dad comes in, he'd been working out, harvesting the crops, he comes in, he's like, what's going on with everybody? And they said, mom's calling us in for dinner, but Joey, we can't find him. He's like, oh, come on, he's, he's got to be here somewhere. And they go down to the machine shed, he's not there. And, and, and slowly as time goes by, and, and a half hour turns to an hour, no Joey, and it's getting colder and colder, and temperatures are dropping below freezing. The fear that Joey has strayed off into the cornfields to hide and has become lost begins to sink in. They start to look as a family and call out into the cornfields that surround the farm, but there's no sign or hearing from Joey. Where is he? Mom starts to say, well, why, kids, why weren't you watching? How could you let this happen? And, and the temperatures, uh, as they're dropping, ten, uh, the, the, the tempers start to rise of anger toward each other. Why is this happening? Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? They make a phone call to the neighbors, say, we need some help here. We can't find our son. Could you come and help us? And, and by this time, it's, it's very dark. I mean, it's, it's getting dark. It's getting colder. An hour has now turned to two hours. And they know Joey wasn't wearing a, a warm weather jacket because they were running around the yard. He didn't need it. He was fine. And in the fearing of the worst, we got to find our son. And they start to crisscross through the cornfields, calling out for Joey with flashlights. And, and two hours now turns to four hours and five hours. And by this time, somewhere along the line, the police, the fire department have arrived to help the search. But still no Joey. And the search goes into the wee hours of the night. And, and, and again, tempers are off the, off the charts of anger. Like, how come you were out just harvesting the fields? Why couldn't you be home watching the kids? I'm trying to make the meals. And why aren't you ever here for us? And, and a family that is erupting in, in anger in the midst of the moment. Of thing, something that's gone terribly wrong. And finally, in the midst of that heat of arguing... Someone has the idea to call everyone back together and they pray in a circle, hand in hand. They said, Lord, help us find Joey. And in the midst of that prayer, as they end in Jesus' name, they say, let's do this differently. Let's walk hand in hand. And they do. They walk hand in hand down the rows of corn. And they make one pass. You know, it's about a half mile to the other end. And they turn and they make another pass. And then it happens. Somebody calls out at the end. We found him. He's down here. And as they rush to the scene, the paramedics that are there realize that he has no pulse. He's unresponsive. He's not breathing. It's too late, you see. And as that true story, which wasn't true, played out, a reminder that unity is important. Walking hand in hand is important. And not just in finding lost kids, but in finding lost people, in being the church, in following the calling of our God. And if there's ever been a time for unity, it's now.
in this broken, fallen, dark, war-filled, war-torn world to be the people of God as he intended it. Why pray for unity? There's many reasons, but we're going to look at three reasons today. First one is this, because we need each other. We need each other. Let me share some, some other scripture to remind us of why unity is so critical and why unity was on the heart of our Savior Jesus of all the things he could have prayed for. He prays for unity, that God's people would be one. There's uh, a great verse from Romans 12. As Paul writes this by the Spirit, he says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. I mean, praise the Lord that we are not all the same. Unity does not mean uniformity. And I think sometimes that's a misunderstanding. It's like, okay, we got to all be the exact same kind of people. Well, you know what? Praise God, we're not. God has actually made us unique. Each of us has different talents. Each of us has different abilities. We are not all hands. We are all not all heads or, or feet or knees or, as my friend always likes to remind me, it's like, uh, you know, I think in the body of Christ, I'm the spleen. You know, I... I don't know what that means to be the spleen, but I know the spleen. I mean, probably important. Somebody's the spleen. We, every part of the body is critical and important, right? And praise God, we're not all the same. Man, would it be boring, right? If we were all the same. And sometimes we start thinking, how come they don't think like I do? If everybody thought the same way I did, this church would get along better or we would accomplish so much more. Oh, man. You know, may it never be. May we be allowed the freedom to connect with each other and realize we are different. And that's one of the strengths of God's church is to be connected in unity, though we are not there's no uniformity. You see what I'm getting at is we're connected and combined in Christ and that mindset of Jesus to see each other as Christ sees us and to walk together to be the church and make an eternal difference with our gifts, our talents, our abilities. And we need each other. When those around us are hurting, the whole body hurts. When somebody's suffering or struggling or has lost a loved one or someone's in the hospital, to be the body of Christ and continue to care for each other and love each other where we're at. So important. We need each other. And I'd say we desperately need each other because we weren't wired to be an island. We weren't individually we are meant to be in community and God has created us to experience that the other thing we we also realize today is because the world will see Jesus Jesus prays for that and I, and I find it significant and here's the thing was Jesus concerned about doctrine what do you think well he is the way the truth and the life Gil is he concerned about doctrine of course he is right um, but here's the thing Jesus did not say, the world will know you are my disciples by your correct doctrine. He actually never said that. Of all the things he said will distinguish us, it's not our buildings, it's not our great choirs or our great praise bands, it's not all the things often we connect with what it means to be the church, except for one important thing, Jesus prayed for one thing, and that was that they would love one another. This great verse, I'd like to be reminded, it's, Formation of our, our mission and vision here and contact, continues to remind us of this is a new command. Jesus says, I give you love one another as I have loved you. 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It would be the mark of God's people, those who are distinguished as Jesus' followers. And by the way, I've been reminded of this recently. We had a, a district pastor's conference this week. And the reminders that being a follower of Jesus actually has greater meaning in our culture today than at any other time as compared to saying, hey, I'm a Christian, which the meaning has changed, and we need to be aware of that. Um, We had a a guest speaker. His name's Carl Medeiros. Uh, He is a missionary half the year in the Middle East, half the year he's in in the U.S., and one of the things he shared with us is just opening our hearts to realize this, that the word Christian, uh, the, the meaning has changed. And and in his research as a missionary on the front lines in the Middle East and in the the United States, he has noticed this. When he asks people to say, what's the first thing or the first three things that come to your mind when you think of the word Christian? What he's finding is emphatically people say hate. They say war. And interestingly, the third thing they say, pornography. In the rest of the world today, Because America is known as a Christian nation in their mindset because they see pornography coming out of America. Our reputation when we say I'm a Christian is we're responsible for pornography. And you may say, well, that's not fair. You know what? Get mad all you want. The fact is that's perception out there. Christians do not bear a good name in the world today. And yet, as Carl shared with us, he said, if you say what's the first three things that come to mind when you say the name Jesus? The response is love, compassion, acceptance. That's huge. And Jesus says, by the way you love each other, people will know you are my disciples. He doesn't say, by this they will know you are Christians. He doesn't use that word. See, that's important. Talking a little bit semantics here, but it's important to know what unites us is not the institutional church. What unites us is Christ. Jesus is our witness. And from that flows the truth, the way, and the life of Christ. Christ has called us to bear his name. And in order to bear that name is realizing, what does that mean? How do we love each other? Well, that love that flows from what he has done for us, from what he has accomplished. Think about this too. When, When Paul says this in those words in Romans, the words we read just a moment ago, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What does that mean? Um, Kind of a neat connection here. The word for accept in Greek, it's a big word, won't go into it, actually means uh, to reconcile with somebody with an embrace followed by walking hand in hand. Isn't that beautiful? To accept one another as Christ has accepted us. How did he accept us? Does God approach us as broken sinners and say, okay, I will love you, I will accept you, but first you've got to do this, 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 and this, and, and then we'll talk. Now, if he approached our relationship with him that way, where would we stand in view of God? You, you know it. We, we'd be out on the outside looking in. What Jesus has done is while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He comes right to where we are. He enters in the picture of humanity in our brokenness, our darkness. He goes outside the walls of the institutional church of the day and says, this is what matters, the compassion of God to people who are desperate for it. And he expresses it. 
Jesus says, then love one another as I've loved you, right? Accept one another, as Paul says, as Christ accepted us. That redefines the lens by which we see the world. We start to realize God has called us to love each other, but also be a voice of love in the world. Doesn't mean we neglect doctrine. I hope you didn't hear me say that. Not at all. But correct doctrine expressed in its ultimate form is love. Just like Paul would say it, this is love, right? And that, that whole section in 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, and he talks about love is patient, love is kind, and he goes on. And, and that reference there to say, you know, without love, we could have the, the most prophetic voice. And yet without love, it's like a, a noisy gong or clashing cymbal. means nothing. Jesus says, they will know you by the way you love. What a privilege to demonstrate that as a church, as a community, as Christ followers, Jesus followers in our world, so that they will see Jesus. Huge. And the time is now, more and more. But then end this, because together we can do more than a part. Why pray for unity? Because a lot's riding on this. And when God's people come together, not only in love, but also where God has his way in, in, in every area of our life, there's something very amazing about being part of a community like that. I love this reference from Acts chapter 4. And in verse 32, it, it says this, that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. You hear that? It's just, this is so radical and so crazy, and yet so beautiful. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, and all of that there were wait, so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Think about that. There was no one in need among them. And the context goes on that from time to time, people would sell fields, sell properties, and they would just give it back and say, share it with the community. And you say, whoa, what is going on? You know, we don't talk about this very much because we haven't really had to. You know, the generosity of God's people here is awesome. But imagine if we continue to catch the spirit of that, to be generous for the Lord Jesus, to realize nothing I have is mine. God, you have given it all to me. It is a gift. And to make an eternal difference in Jesus' name. I mean, we're doing a lot of things here, a lot of great good for the kingdom. But imagine what is possible if the floodgates of heaven would continue to be opened. Where could God take us together that he couldn't take us by ourselves? As just one church. I, I just heard this. I'll give you an example of this. Um, one of, uh, one of the, the, the pastors that's involved in, in one of our mission partners in the inner city, in, in the area here in Pontiac or Detroit, um, approached me and he says, you know, I've been just praying and trying to figure out a way that, that we could do ministry where we are and not need your support. You know what I said to him? I looked at him and I said, I sure hope you don't. I said, because you say you need us, you know what? We need you too. 
We need to be reminded of how blessed we are, where we live, who we are, and where God has placed us to be a blessing. I would certainly hope you would never see ministry that way or see or think that you are a burden to us because it is a blessing to be in partnership in the gospel, to make an eternal difference, not just in Rochester community, but in the community around us and in the needs to share the love of Christ in partnership and in unity with God's people. That is never a burden. That is always a blessing. And may God continue to guide us and lead us in that kind of way with a spirit of unity. Let's pray. Let's just ask the Lord to bless us here. Lord, we, we ask you to keep teaching us and guiding us in how to pray, what to pray for. And Lord, what a gift it is to realize the importance of praying that we would be in unity as a people in heart and mind. We give you thanks for the diversity of your people that make up your family, the body of Christ. We thank you for the opportunities you give us to be that body of Christ, to serve you, to share the love of Jesus with each other, to forgive as we've been forgiven, and to continue walking together so that the world would know that you are the Christ, that you are the Savior, you are Jesus, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. And Lord, that name and that message has never been needed more than today. Lord, we, we pray that message would be loud and clear for families, for our community, for our nation, for our world, and that the name of Jesus would continue to be preached through the love that is expressed, through the words that are shared, and Lord, through uh, the ways that you work through your spirit to make an eternal difference. Lord, draw us together, but in drawing us together, lead us out into the world to make an eternal difference more and more as your people and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.